Tonight, I invite you to turn. Uh, we're going to go kind of out of our way. We don't have a series going on right now. Um, and we kind of have we have a few things coming up this summer uh, between Vacation Bible School. Um, next Sunday is our Vacation Bible School service where we typically um, will have the kids sing their songs. We'll have a little bit of a message that will follow up with what they learned this past week or this coming week in Vacation Bible School. And then we will have a fellowship after church. Uh, next week with the for the celebrate the end of vacation Bible school, um, and then we have our summer fellowships that are starting in a couple of weeks, so we 'll kind of be in and out on Sunday nights uh, so i don 't really have a a series right now because we wrapped up um, Haggai, and i don 't want to start the next one quite yet until we are going to be consistently here every week because those things kind of go together so um, we we 're going to have a couple different messages uh, how the Lord leads. Uh, to help us uh, in our Christian walk with him. And so tonight we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 5. Um, and we're going to talk about this idea of a temporal mindset in the midst of eternal ministry. It's important in life to, no matter what you're doing, to, to take into that, whether that's accomplishing a task at your home or serving the Lord, but taking the right mindset to accomplish those things. Um, without it, it is hard to accomplish that which you set out to do. I mean, and no matter what the task is, no matter how small or large it may seem, it's important to not only uh, establish that frame of mind, but, but stay in that frame of mind. I mean, we've, we've probably all had an opportunity or an instance in our lives where we went into something even with the right heart attitude and frame of mind, and then in the midst of that, we kind of lost our focus, and we struggle with that. Uh, maybe perhaps something like that is is um, you have to stay in the right frame of mind if you're going to work out. I mean, let me give you a story that happened a few summers ago. Actually, it happened, believe it or not, I found out that it happened five years ago today. I'd already written down that I wanted to share this story with you, and then I found out it happened five years ago today. Uh, this was a story that took place between my youngest sister, um, Olivia, and my then three-year-old son, Caleb, um, at the time. Uh, he was staying with my parents while we took some kids to camp, and my sister, uh, for those of you who don't know her, uh, especially uh, as she was into college and then post-college, really got into working out and doing those sorts of things because she just loved it. And I didn't really understand that. But, you know, that's, uh, that was kind of her thing. And so while he, my son was, my, my kids were there, um, my son and, and her started talking and he said to her one day, he said, hey, Liv, where are you going? And she said, well, I'm going to work out. And he said, well, what, what do you do? She said, well, I do a lot of things. I, I do something called push-ups. Can you do those? And he said, nope. And she said, well, I also do sit-ups. Do you want to try those? He said, yeah, show me some sit-ups. So they laid down on the floor, and she showed him how to do a sit-up. And as Caleb is, is laying on the floor next to her, he says, you know, Liv, sometimes I think I should do some sit-ups. But then I think I'd rather just lay on the floor, so I do that. And you know, I've never resonated with something more in my life than that statement, right? You know, when it comes to working, doing the works of God, uh, our, our mindset that we carry into that is very important too. And what we're going to see in this passage tonight, as we look at, at something that happens uh, in the life of the life, uh, in the life of God's servant, Elisha, well, and it's connected to his servant, uh, we see that the key to successful ministry to, for God is our fullest devotion to God alone. If you want to be successful in serving God, if you want to, if you want to see God do uh, great things in and through you, 
then it starts with being devoted to God alone. We don't enter the ministry of God. We don't enter the avenues of ministry that God gives us with any other mindset or any other focus and goal other than I'm devoted to God and I want to see him glorified in these things. We have to be mindful of the kingdom of God. If we know Jesus Christ, our Savior, we have a great privilege and responsibility as his servants. But if we're not careful, our sinful old man patterns that we're used to can take over and taint or even undo our work for God. And here in 2 Kings chapter 5, we find a man who gave in to really a temporal mindset in the midst of eternal ministry for God. But, but before we jump in, I, I want us to understand where we are because when you jump into these narrative texts, and that's what Second Kings is, it's a narrative text, right? It's telling us things that happened, really happened in um, the nation of Israel. It's part of history. So, so we have to ask this question, where are we? Well, well, first of all, we have to understand we're in a divided kingdom. When you open 2 Kings chapter 5, you're in the midst of the nation of Israel that is in turmoil. Gone are the glorious days of David and Solomon. The nation has been torn in two, and you have two kingdoms. One kingdom is called Israel, and the other kingdom is called Judah. The southern kingdom, Judah, tends to fare better than the northern kingdom, Israel. And the story that takes place before us tonight, the account that's written here, takes place in that northern kingdom, the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, the kings of Israel are wicked men who do not serve God. That is, that is just how it went throughout the northern kingdom of Israel. And we see that God's chosen people really are representing him in a very lousy way. That seems to happen a lot in the nation of Israel, doesn't it? So you have a divided kingdom. But also, while that's going on, and as you look around, you think, well, that's pretty discouraging. And it is, it is discouraging, and it can be discouraging when we look around and we see the evil in the world, and even how people who are supposed to be doing right aren't embracing the right. But even in the midst of that, God is still faithful, and he still has those who serve him. And we have that here. We have a dedicated servant who is serving the Lord in this kingdom. God has a faithful prophet, and his name is Elisha. Now, perhaps you are familiar with Elisha and the person that he learned from whose name was Elijah. Elisha is proclaiming God's truth, and he does the mighty works of God as he has succeeded Elijah as the prophet. And it's interesting. Um, A couple of things. Number one, it's interesting that uh, miracles... They're not uncommon in the time, uh, in in the scriptures, right? We read about those. But as you study the scriptures, you'll find that they are concentrated in several areas in the scriptures. They're not just like this thing that would happen all the time, though they weren't, they they could. Um, But if you looked at the, the ministry of Moses and Joshua and Elijah and Elisha and the ministry of Jesus, you would find most of the miracles that are recorded in the scripture in those pockets throughout the scripture. 
Because that's the time that God was using those things as part of his revelation to his people. And I find it very interesting that these powerful men, Elijah and Elisha, who are doing mighty things, where do they minister? They minister in the northern kingdom of Israel. Which kingdom never had a king who served God? Israel, the northern kingdom. God is still proclaiming his message to his people that they may hear it. And Elisha is that dedicated servant. And then in 2 Kings chapter 5, you have a divine appointment. Because here you read a remarkable thing. There is a foreign military leader whose name is Naaman who is struck by leprosy. And at the time, there is no known cure for leprosy. And again, we've talked about leprosy before, how it could refer to different types of diseases. It may not just be one thing. Naaman, though, had brought back with him from a raid an, an Israelite servant girl. And he tell, she tells Naaman that if he was in Israel, he could be healed. So he packs up and he journeys to Israel and he's directed after he gets there to, to Elisha. And Elisha communicates how God will heal Naaman of leprosy. And after a period of unbelief, Naaman obeys and he is healed. And there's a whole other message wrapped up in that instance that happens in the first part of Second Kings chapter 5, but we'll have to save that for another day. And he recognizes then God for who he is and worships him. And it's so interesting. Here you have outsiders, people who are not God's chosen people, they're not part of the nation of Israel, who are a better service to God than God's own people. I mean, Jesus even said in Luke chapter 4, verse 27, and many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. That is a very indicting statement that Jesus makes about the the spiritual state of the nation of Israel, looking back into history at that time. And then, of course, Jesus also faced um, some very uh, strong challenges as he ministered. As we looked at this book of John, we've we recognized that. So J- uh, Naaman, after he is healed, returns to Elisha's house, a grateful man and one who is praising God because he has newfound faith. And he wishes to reward Elisha monetarily. We read that Naaman had brought with him 750 pounds of silver and 150 pounds of gold, as well as new garments when he had come with him. That's, that's a lot of cash, right? But Elisha does not take any of his gifts and sends this man on his way. And as he leaves, that's where we meet Tonight's focus, we meet this man named Gehazi. Gehazi is Elisha's servant and his partner in ministry. And it becomes very evident that Gehazi has a different mindset when it comes to ministering. He demonstrates for us the danger of being temporally minded in the midst of God's eternal ministry. And we see a few things tonight. Number one, in verses 19 and 20, we see that a temporal mindset led to disillusionment. In verse 19, you have a man here who is departing in peace. It says, then he, that's Elisha, said to him, go in peace. So he departed from him a short distance. Naaman departed from Elisha a changed man, both physically and spiritually. Elisha then has recognized this this change in his life. Elisha says here, we read in verse 19, what does he say to Naaman? He says, go in peace. Now this statement is not goodbye or peace out, okay? 
this is instead a covenant blessing that Jews invoked when people were starting on a journey. And so what Elisha is doing is he's recognizing the same service, the service of the, to the same God that Naaman and him share. Now, because of Naaman's faith, he is invoking this covenant blessing with him. So Naaman departed with a blessing of peace from Elisha, and Naaman departed with a new peace that he found in his soul, which is a peace that he couldn't find from any of the other idols he had worshipped in his life. He could only find in God, because that's where true peace comes from. This man was genuinely changed by God, but not everyone was happy about that. Because while, while you have a man departing in peace, you have a man departing uh, w- with peace in his physical body that he's been healed and that he can go about his life and his spiritual self that he, can, that he can now have peace with God. You have behind a man who's left in turmoil in verse 20. It says, but, uh, and there's that word, right? I've pointed that word out to you. It's so small, but you, whenever you see that in Scripture, there's a contrast coming, Right? But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Look, my master has spared Naaman the Syrian while not receiving from his hands what he brought. But as the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. So here in the, servant, uh, here in the story, we meet this man named Gehazi. He's Elisha's servant. He's a, his partner in ministry. We really don't know, but perhaps his relationship was like that of Elijah and Elisha's, where Elisha was Elijah's protege. Perhaps this is something that he had hoped to establish with Gehazi. But it's become evident that Gehazi is caught up in other things that, that are contrary to the work of God and the work of God's ministry. Because Gehazi looks at the, the situation and he thinks that Elisha has really missed out. He's really missed out on a golden opportunity for some temporal gain in the midst of all of these things. Gehazi says here that his master has spared him. That word spared literally means that he let him off easy. Okay, that's, that's how we would use that term today. Elisha has just saved this man's life, his career, his status, and more. I mean, they could be rich. I mean, he brought... 750 pounds of silver with him, right? I mean, that's a lot. And Gehazi sees an opportunity to gain something from this Syrian general. And this is where some of the politics of the day come into play because, because a Syrian general is a natural enemy of Israel. So, I mean, if you're taking things from him, it's not really that big of a deal, right? Because, I mean, they're not part of God's people anyway. That's kind of the thinking and the mentality. One commentator said it this way, Gehazi was measuring his master's conduct the way the world would measure it, not the way God measured it. By God's definition, a lot has been accomplished in this chapter. God has been glorified. Naaman has experienced a life transformation. By God's definition, it's been a successful thing, right? Because he's been glorified. At the end of the day, that's what it's about. But by the world's definition, they, uh, they should have gotten something for that, right? Hey, you've got a miracle time to pay up, right? What is Gehazi given into? Well, he's given into covetousness. You know that thing, that tenth one on the list when God gave the commandments? Thou shalt not 
covet, and he gives a big list of all the things you shouldn't covet, right? Just, just to give a few examples. And covetousness, which when it's uh, left unchecked, you know, that's going to lead you to breaking the other commandments as you seek to obtain what you covet, right? Because if you want that so bad that you can't stand it, then you can have no problem lying, right, stealing, perhaps killing someone to get what you want. You see, where did it start, though? It started with, well, i got to have that, right? I covet that. And so, not wishing to see this opportunity, quote-unquote, wasted, Gehazi decides, well, I'm going to benefit from that. And what started as, as covetousness in his heart, which is a sin, by the way, okay? Even to just sit there and our hearts mull over, oh, yeah, i got to have that. This one, my life won't be complete. That's a sin. It begins in our heart. It begins then to grow, and we see that a temporal mindset then led to another sin, and that's the sin of deception in the life of Gehazi. And first of all, uh, we see that, that he lies to himself. He deceives himself. Because Gehazi really has already lied to himself before he takes off to go stop Naaman. He's already told himself this. The things that Naaman has offered you and your master, those will make you happy. That's the lie he's already told himself. He's told himself the lie that the purpose of eternal ministry is to get temporal gains. That's what my purpose is here. I do the work of God. I, I help this guy, Elisha, so that I can benefit from it. That's why I'm here. That's a lie. We don't do the things of God just so we can gain things from it. You're like, well, that's big stuff coming from a pastor that we pay to be here, okay? You don't be the pastor of a church because you want to gain, eternal, you gain stuff, right? You don't, you don't serve and help your neighbor hoping that they'll give something to you. You don't, you don't minister to your family because then they'll owe you something. We do the work of God because it's the right thing to do. It's what God has called us to do. That's why we do the work of God. Matthew Henry, the great commentator, wrote it this way. His heart, Gehazi's heart, was packed up in Naaman's chest, and he must run after him to fetch it. That's where his heart was. It was inside those boxes with all the money. And now he's getting ready to take off to go find it. And whenever we lose sight of the eternal weight of ministry, we deceive ourselves. We deceive ourselves. That, that it's just about what we can do, what we can get here. It's just about how we can feel. It's just about how we can whatever. There's a greater weight to ministry than that. And that deception will lead us into sin as we take our eyes off God and we put them on ourselves or on the things around us. So Gehazi has already deceived himself, so very easily then he seeks to deceive others because we see, secondly, this temporal mindset led to the deception of those who were ministered to. Look in verses 21 through 23. So Gehazi pursued Naaman. When Naaman saw him running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, all is well. My master has sent me, saying, Indeed, just now two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me from the mountains of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of garments. So Naaman said, Please take two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver and bags and two changes of garments and handed them to two of his servants. And they carried them on ahead of him. 
So having set his heart on some temporal goods because, hey, it's only fair, Gehazi then sets off to carry out his plan. And of course, he needs a reason to track down Naaman's caravan. I guess he thinks it's not going to go well if he says, uh, my master let you off, but that wasn't good enough. I need some stuff, right? So he has to come up with a story. And as Naaman descends from his chariot and begins to make inquiry of Gehazi, we see the plan and the tale that he spends of these two visitors who have come to call, the sons of the prophets from Ephraim. And, and what's worse here is he doesn't just tell the story he puts the lie into Elisha's mouth. Do you see that? Elisha told me. I mean, he told me to come out here and say this to you. Naaman is showing us, while well, amazingly here, the heart of, this, of a changed man, and, and Gehazi is preying on that. Gehazi asks for two changes of garments. Uh, now, that may have been actual garments. That may have been like two full clothings worth of garments, or it actually might have been a roll that was used to make garments out of. They're just not sure how they would have brought those things. And he asked for a talent of silver. And again, just to give you some context, a talent of silver is about 75 pounds worth of silver. So Naaman, wanting to, to do the right thing here, wanting to do good for this man who has helped him, he gives him what he asked for, but then you notice what he gave him. He gave him an extra talent of silver, right? Hey, you want 75 pounds worth? I'll give you 150 pounds. And again, that's not how they would have measured it, but it's how it helps us in our brains. He gives very generously. He doesn't go back on his offer to Elisha, but it seeks to help. And then he takes, he takes his servants, he takes two of his servants, and he says, okay, now you help him carry that back. And, and you can almost see, I mean, I don't know, in, in my brain I see him like, oh, you don't need to send those guys with me, right? Because now he's going to have to do something. I can carry 150 pounds. I can, I'm a strong guy. But here he goes. He sends these two servants with him and all of this stuff he's got to take with him. And they troop back with the clothes and the 150 pounds of silver. And then in verses 24 and 25, because they bring it all back, you see the last person that's deceived. You see Gehazi's ministry partner, Elisha, who is now part of this whole um, plan that Gehazi is hatching. When he came to the citadel, he took them from their hand and stored them away in the house. Then he let the men go and they departed. Now he went in and stood before his master. Elisha said to him, where did you go, Gehazi? And he said, your servant did not go anywhere. So as they near Elisha's house, Gehazi turns the men aside to stir his to stow his goods in there, right? The last thing he wants to do is be caught with these goods before Elisha, who already sent him away. So he squirrels away his prizes, and then he goes in before Elisha. Hey, it's all normal, right? Nothing out of the ordinary has happened. He probably assumes he's going to receive orders from Elisha, so he's standing in front of him. And instead of orders, he finds himself in the midst of an interrogation, right? Right? Because Elisha wants to know where Gehazi has been. And I, I want you to notice something here. Because this happens more often than you would expect. It actually happens quite frequently when, when people do wrong. Gehazi has, has done wrong, yes? He's sinned multiple times now, right? But what is he given the opportunity to do here? 
Yeah, to make it, to confess, to repent, to make it right, right? This is the pattern of our lives, by the way. If you look back over those times when, when you've done wrong and you persisted in that wrong, you'll find there were times God gave you the opportunity. Okay, now's a chance to make it right. Now's a chance. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to undo the consequences of what's been done, but you can stop it here before it gets worse. Because God does that in his grace. And that's exactly what, what happens here. I mean, but Elisha gives him the opportunity to admit what he has done. But if he admits that, what is he not going to get to keep? All of his stuff, right? I mean, I got all, I'm set, right? I got the, the stuff to wear the new garments. I'm going to look really great. And I wonder, how does he expect to wear that around? And like, oh, where'd you get that? Oh, you know, Walmart, you know? I mean, it at least came from Target, right? So he does this. So he does what he's had no problem doing all day. He lies. He does not make up a story, but he simply denies that he has been anywhere, which is just as much a lie as anything else, by the way. We have this idea in our heads that lying is, we came up with this huge, fantastical, da-da-da-da-da. Lying is as simple as, hey, what did you, know, what'd you do? I, oh, nothing. That's a lie. Because it's an intent to deceive someone else. And what happens is, lies mean you got to tell more lies. They begat, they begat other lies, right? But that's the way lying always works. You, you lie, and then you got to tell a lie to cover up your lie, and then you got to tell a lie to cover up the lie to the lie. And somewhere in there, you lose track. You're like, well, I hope I'm lying consistently with the lie I told before. And the very man Gehazi has partnered with in ministry and whom Gehazi has witnessed God use in miraculous ways is the next victim in Gehazi's quest for earthly treasure. Just think of it that way. But here he is. I mean, he's watched Elisha do all sorts of things. He just watched Elisha say to a man, you go dip in the Jordan River seven times and God will heal you of your leprosy. The man goes and does it and comes back and he's healed of his leprosy. Wow. I mean, that's impressive. That's incredible. And he says, you know what? I'm going to lie to that guy, right? That's not really, from that standpoint, in your best interest, right? But secondly, think about how close these guys have been working together. And he's going to lie to that guy? He's going to make him a victim of his sin? And that's, that's, by the way, how we need to understand sin. Sin in our lives, we commit sin against other people. We're taking victims with our sin. Sin is not a victimless crime. Satan wishes us to think that sin is no big deal, but it causes us to do horrible things, often to the ones we love the most. Our relationships to both God and others are impacted by our sin, and Gehazi's lies are taking victims left and right. He, he's lied to Naaman, right? He's brought him into this. He lied about Elisha. He's brought him to this. Now he's lied to Elisha. These, these other guys that were involved in this, right, who walked back with him, I mean, they're all part of this. They have no idea. But little does Gehazi know how close he is to experiencing judgment for his sin. And, and that's part of the lie that Satan tells us as well. Hey, nobody's going to find out. You're going to be good. We do not know. We do not know when the battle is going to come due on our sin. We don't know that. 
someone who, who rejects Jesus Christ, who says, I'll, I'll deal with that later. I don't need any of that God stuff now. I'll deal with it when I'm older. You don't know how many days you have left. Someone who says, hey, I can do this for now, and I can enjoy this for now, and I'll make it right with God later. You don't know when it's going to come out and it's going to ruin your family. Or worse, it's going to take your life or someone else's life because you messed with sin. And the consequences it'll bring. We do not know when God's going to call a reckoning on these things in our lives. So let us not presume on his grace, but, but embrace it no matter what. And what we see here lastly tonight is that a temporal mindset led to deprivation. In verse 26, it led to deprivation of the eternal purpose of the moment. Then he, Elisha, said to him, Gehazi, did not my heart go with you when the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? Is it time to receive money and to receive clothing, olive groves and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male and female servants? Elisha, through God's supernatural insight, knew what had happened. And Gehazi's lie here is exposed. And Elisha now tells Gehazi, exactly what he has missed out on because of his preoccupation with temporal things. The question he asks is rhetorical. The answer is no here, okay, to the answer to the question in verse 26. The time was not right for them to take such things from Naaman. That was not their purpose. Their purpose was not to get rich off this guy. Their purpose was not to, to, to be exalted. God's true might and power had been shown that day to a foreign military leader. They had witnessed in this man a recognition of God and life transformation. They had watched God do things only God could do. So no, it was not time to take temporal rewards for the work that God had done. To do so was to cheapen the work of God. They were not called to line their pockets with payments for the blessings of God. So what had Gehazi deprived himself of? He had deprived himself of seeing the eternal impact of their ministry because he was so focused on what was right here and right now. He could not see what had happened. He could not see the work God was doing because he said, I've got to have that. He was so consumed with the temporal that he missed the eternal entirely. One has said it this way, do not sacrifice the eternal on the altar of the immediate. This is the weightier manner, the weightier matter, that he missed out on God's work, that he missed the opportunity to see what God was doing and embrace and engage in that. But there is another consequence. There is a temporal, life-altering consequence because Gehazi is then also deprived of his enjoyment of his ill-gotten gains. In verse 27, we read, Therefore, because of this, because you have done this, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. And he went out from his presence, leprous as white as snow. God levies a severe punishment on Gehazi for his sin. I believe part of why it is so severe is because of Gehazi's role in his job as part of the leadership, the spiritual leadership. He was tied with Elisha. 
when you are in a position of spiritual leadership and influence, God has a high standard on how you are to act. I mean, just read the qualifications of deacons and pastors and the things that God has to say about those sorts of things in passages like James 3 and Titus and First Timothy or Second Timothy. First Timothy. God has an expectation for those who execute the offices of spiritual leadership. Read what God has to say about husbands and wives and parents and the relationship to children. And when you hold that kind of... God has a high standard for you. And you have to keep following God and live for Him that you may honor and glorify Him in those things. The leprosy that had plagued Naaman at the beginning of this chapter will now plague Gehazi and his descendants. He would be an outcast because lepers were considered unclean. He would not be allowed to live a normal life. He loses his position as Elisha's servant. His ministry is gone. He lost the eternal mindset of ministry, and therefore he lost his position altogether. Ironically, as Warren Wiersbe put it, Gehazi hoped to gain great wealth to leave for his descendants, but instead he left great shame and sorrow for years to come. The price of sin is always far greater than you can imagine. And what's the lie? Well, hey, nobody will find out. Nobody will know. You can enjoy it. And then the bill comes due. And it's a lot steeper than you think it's going to be. Because the price of sin is always greater than we can imagine. And Gehazi found that out in a very real and awful way. As we, we step back, okay, we step back a, a few thousand years later, almost here, and we look at this, we're reminded that the key to successful ministry for God is our fullest devotion to God alone. As Christians, God has given us the great privilege of being part of his work. We're to reach out to those who are around us. Those who know Christ and who do not, believers and unbelievers alike, are our ministry. We're to reach the lost with the gospel. We're to help to meet the needs of fellow believers. And so we must never lose sight of the eternal purpose of ministry. The eternal work of God requires of us an eternal mindset. Being a part of God's eternal work is an awesome thing. It's truly amazing and humbling when God allows us to be used to bring a soul into the kingdom of God. If you've ever had that experience just to help be involved in someone's personal decision of faith, you know that. The bond of Christ that brings believers together to help meet needs is truly incredible. And a temporal mindset will rob us of these opportunities. If we view God's eternal ministry as a means for us to benefit temporally, then we're going to miss out. We don't minister to gain money, fame, or just so somebody will owe us something. We, we do ministry out of a heart of love for God and others because that's our calling from God. And like Gehazi, our temporal mindedness can rob us of eternal ministry opportunities for God. So where do we find these opportunities that we need to, with God's help, engage with a look at the eternal? Well, you find them first in your own home. 
If you're married, you have a spouse, if you have kids in your home, these are people that God has given to you to minister in such a way. That you minister to them with a look on the eternal. And that's hard sometimes because sometimes you're just trying to make it through the day. Moms who have small kids, you're just trying to make it through the cup of coffee in the morning, okay? That, let in the, that sat in the microwave for two days because you kept, you know, heating it back up, right? That's never happened in our home, okay? You're just trying to make it through the work day sometimes. You're trying to make it through the... And we lose the, eternal, the eternalness of the ministry God has given us in our homes, Maybe you work outside the home and you have people that you're trying to witness to and be a part of. And, and again, it can be very easy just, well, I just go in, I got to turn in my 8, my 10, my 12, my whatever hours I got to do. And then I'll be good for the day. But there's an eternal ministry God has given us in that, in that setting. If you're part of the body of Christ, you're part of, you're part of a local church like Beaverton Baptist Church. God has given you eternal purpose and ministry when you walk in these doors to be a part of. That's what God has called us to do. So we don't walk into church going, man, what can I get out of this today? But who can I minister to today? Should be our mindset. And we're not here realizing that, that we're, not there to, we're not in our place to serve God where he's called us to be. And then as we look around at the world around us, having those opportunities. But think about this week. We're entering a vacation Bible school week. We'll have kids here from our own church, Lord willing, from our community. Some will come in and be a part of that. And I get it, okay? I've done VBS enough. You get about Thursday, you're like, I just want to survive four more hours, four more hours. Okay, I got two on Thursday and two on Friday, and then the little rugrats are going home. And I get it. But in that moment, we need the eternal mindset. We're here to serve the kingdom. We're not here to fill up a schedule. We're not here to do this or that or survive. Or, and I get it. Sometimes there's some of that, depending on who's in your class. But we're here to serve the kingdom. And may we serve the kingdom with the strength of God so we can bring honor and glory to our God. Father, thank you for your word. It's power to change our lives. Thank you for giving us the examples that we read, even of a man like Gehazi. Lord, it's not very pleasant to read these things. It's actually kind of ugly because sin is ugly. And Lord, as we read something like this, may we be confronted with how ugly it is. May you convict us of our own sin. Help us to come face to face with the things that we have committed that we refuse to make right Help us to see the grace that if you have not called us out on that yet to make it right with you. And yes, Lord, there will be consequences. There's always consequences for sin. But may we have the courage and the boldness and the strength in you to confront that head on for you and your honor. Lord, we pray for the week ahead as we prepare even here for Vacation Bible School that you would bring boys and girls in this week to hear the gospel. That you would see our own who have come to know you already. Some in this church who have, some who haven't. May we be discipled and share the gospel with them and grow in you. Most of all, Lord, may we be be consumed with the glory of your name in all these things. Be with us now as we close out the evening and the rest of our events. In your name we pray. Amen.